I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Hi, and welcome to Play Me and the Conclusion of Winners and Losers by Marcus Yusuf and James Long. In parts one and two of Winners and Losers, we meet real-life friends Marcus and James, who are engaged in a made-up game where they verbally spar about people, places, and things as either winners or losers. They start by debating random topics like the Russian Revolution, Druids, and Bernie Sanders. But things start to turn personal as they compare their different backgrounds, one of financial privilege and one without. This is the conclusion of Winners and Losers, written and performed by Marcus Yusuf and James Long. Warning, this episode contains strong language and may not be suitable for all audiences. Okay, my dad. My father. <laughs> you know, my dad had a, had a wife for a little while. His third wife, I think. I'm not sure. I think it was his third wife. Her name was Shithead. It was like whenever we'd go over, and it wouldn't be very often, like a couple times a year maybe, and, and we'd be sitting around the table playing Trivial Pursuit, because that's what we did, and eating chips. And he'd be like, hey, Shithead. We need more beer. All right, shithead. This is the wrong kind of chips. And sometimes nice things too, like, hey, hey, you look great in that dress, shithead. Or, hey, shithead, I I picked up the milk at the store. It didn't matter what. Just shithead, shithead, shithead. Like, I had no idea what that woman's name was. I, I, I remember my brothers and I, we'd be driving home and going, you know, I don't think you can call your wife shithead. In front of your children in public. Yeah. Or in private for that matter. Probably. Yeah. But right. But anyways, my my dad comes from a line of people who are all absolutely nuts. He's the first one in his family not to have had some kind of intense therapy for anxiety or severe depression or, or you know, his mother, my grandmother, had electric shock treatment. His brother like my uncle or half uncle or something. I'm still not sure what he is, but he had the the one flew over the cuckoo's nest ice bath thing. My dad skipped all that. So definitely a winner there. He was a good athlete. He was a good cop. He was RCMP. Only high school, but smart. Well read though. <laughs> though I do remember seeing Mein Kampf being on his bookshelf, which was a little bit unsettling. <sighs> Anything else? Now, there were other things, too, but there was a real sort of fascist spin to his reading habits. No, it was fascism and Michener, but 
See, I learned all my Indian jokes from my father. I could tell you another one. Anyone? No? Okay, you want to hear a story of a winner? I'll tell you a story about a winner. My dad, my dad played football with a bunch of his buddies on Saturday mornings. And, and high-powered guys, like there was lawyers and doctors, big government guys. This one day he's playing football, and he catches a pass, and he was because he was an amazing receiver, and he stops, but he stops, right? And, and he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, boy, something's up, something's up. And he, and he takes a knee in the middle of the field, and he's like, fellas, fellas, and he's pounding his heart, pounding his heart. There's something up. There's something up. And the boys are like, Frankie, Frankie, you just got to walk that shit off. Take a walk around the track. You'll be okay. So Frank gets up. And he walks around the track a few times and he's pounding his heart, just pounding, 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 because his legs are giving out on him, right? Because his heart is failing or, or fribulating or... Um, palpitating. What's the word? Palpitating. Palpitating, yes. So, so he, he takes another knee and he's still pounding, pounding, slams his heart and he's like, no, boys, boys, something's up. This is for real. He gets himself over to his car and he sits in there for a little while. He drives himself to the pub he orders his glass of milk, which is actually a, a pint of beer, and still pounding away, pounding away, pounding away. Finally, he drives himself to the hospital. I see him three days later, and he has tubes coming out of every part of his body, right? Because he has had a massive heart attack, or a series of heart attacks, according to the doctor. But he never fell down. He never fell down. Sure, yes, he took a couple knees, but he never fell down. So in terms of that, he's a total winner because he survived. Somehow he survived. He's a total survivor and, and now he's dead. He died, I don't know, about a year ago right when we were going back on tour with this thing. Which has made doing this really interesting, to say the least. And it's not that... Like, it's out of respect for another human being. That, 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 that's my mourning process right now. It's to another human being that I knew a little bit better than other human beings, but he's really just another guy. Oh, and I tried at the funeral. Man, I stared at his picture on the plinth or whatever it was, and, and I tried to generate some kind of emotion for myself. My younger brother did a eulogy, and he started to weep inside of it, which was beautiful, but, but there, was, like, there was nothing there for me. I actually tried to employ acting technique to get some tears going. Okay, let like you talk about your father giving you money or not giving you money as an indicator of his love. Well, my dad never gave me any money. He never gave me anything. And I never gave him anything back. There was no exchange and, and it, it was fine that way. That's how our family worked. He spent the last five months of his life in a hospital because he had throat cancer for a second time and they, they took a chunk out. And it got infected, and then there were painkillers and more infections and hallucinations and more drugs and, and more infections and until death.
but five months being taken care of by doctors and nurses, of being spoon-fed, sponge-bathed, of being asked questions. It would have been a nightmare for him. So ultimately, it's... I'm totally off track here. Um, I apologize. Okay. Look, yes, some people in the world are not meant to be parents. Okay, they can make a baby, but they're not supposed to raise the baby. And and, and if you take some of the traits that I have in me, that he had in him, like, like how I like to be alone, or uh, the mild agoraphobia, which is self-diagnosed, so I don't know if it's real or not, but... Or even competition. Competition, one-on-one, I love it. In a sports environment, I love it. But when it's a social thing or, or, or a party, like who can, who's the funniest or who, who can talk the loudest, it's just like, get me the fuck out of here. All of these things in my father almost drove him nuts. They almost became a madness, but they didn't. But they made him into a mean, mean man, and he should have never been a father. Not that we started wetting the bed when he left, believe me. My mom had a lot to deal with. She had three boys on her own, an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old. She had three jobs. She, But she turned that nightmare situation into something where she is as happy as she can be right now. She's, she's a winner. She's a total winner, right? My dad, though, was, was a loser. And in the end, he totally lost it. And now I get to try to negotiate this personality with my own kids. Which should be interesting. See what I learned from old Papa? That's uh, it's a hell of a story. It's interesting, too. Um, <clears throat> as Jamie said, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and yet from... From the beginning, Jamie, like even when your dad was still alive, like the heart of that story, I'd say it actually hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, it's called acting, Marcus. It's craft. Yeah. We'll be right back. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Stephen Harper. <laughs> um, loser. The European Union. Winner. Mick Jagger. Winner. I mean, wrinkly, but a winner. Uh, Iceland. Iceland's a winner. Barack Obama. Loser. Tar Sands. Uh, oil Sands. Winner. <laughs> Lululemon. L- oh, total loser. Uh, Pine Beetle. Pine Beetle's a winner. Liquid Paper. Uh loser. Bjork. Uh, uh, 
She's a winner. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen's a loser. <laughs> He's a winner. Mother Teresa. Twinkies. Losers. Uh, Lindsay Lohan. Oh, winner. New Jersey. Loser. Bruce Springsteen. Winner. Losers. Outhouses. Africa. Loser. Um, Me. Wah. No, I heard you. Um, all right. Well, um, you're a winner in many, many ways, Jamie Long, no doubt. We've seen it um, through this whole conversation, like so smart and funny and a great storyteller. Um, but this is... So your your whole bootstraps thing, like School of Hard Knocks, Living on the Edge, Self-Made Man, uh, like there's mythology to that too, right? Like Because as far as I can tell... The joest job you ever had was at Lucille's Baguette or whatever in Ottawa, which is, you know, not exactly the salt mines. And where were you living when you hung out with the Indian guys eating beer glasses or whatever? Uh, the downtown east side, for sure. But that's because you and our mutual friend Jay were in the midst of starting a theater company. <laughs> You'd just gotten your bachelor's degrees in theater, and you started a theater company. And the downtown east side was where you could find cheap studio space. So cool, yes, absolutely, but also uh, privileged and harbingers of gentrification. And and me, on the other hand, like privileged, yes, absolutely, for sure, no doubt, we've covered that, but. How much do those jeans you're wearing cost again, Jamie? Uh, these jeans cost 200 bucks. Yeah, and I have never spent $200 on a pair of jeans in my life. Well, you should. <laughs> Probably true. But every piece of clothing I own was bought for real at Value Village or like at a Boxing Day sale when I've downloaded the coupon that gets me another 50% off the 70% off. And and that's that's whatever. But, but I think it also says something because... I recognize that I come from financial privilege and I actually try to take steps to mitigate the effects of that as best I can. Like, like Cope, like who's the guy spending his free time going to meetings and fighting for social housing on the downtown east side? Like that's me, Jamie, not you. And I don't do it because I have to, but because I actually think it's right. Like it's the just and correct thing to do. Because when it, when it comes right down to it, I think it's a lot simpler to kind of go off and have opinions and bark at people than it is to actually try to do things because doing things is like it's hard and it's frustrating and you lose elections right and and you lose other things too and you have to talk to people you know messed up people and get close to them because i mean that's a way honestly i feel like you don't recognize the effects of where you came from <laughs> it's funny because like the way i feel right now saying this uh, and actually even thinking about talking about this, that's connected to it. Because um, you have an anger thing, Jamie. You are angry and mean sometimes, more than sometimes, actually. And, and what I've noticed that makes you really mad, it's like when other people express vulnerability, especially when it's other guys. Like, like, it's true. Like, in the mornings, if I happen to say, oh, I'm, you know, having a lousy day or I'm feeling a little down, I see it. Man, you're, I mean, you're very good. You bury it. Like, you bury a lot of things. But I see it in your eyes. Like, me being vulnerable, it may, you want to punch me, which, you know, whatever, makes sense based on the stuff you talk about, you know, what you went through as a kid. But would you ever admit that? Holy fuck, no. Or at least not unless it was here for work. Like, and I think that's because it's vulnerable and human. And it's a lot easier to get pissed off at people and pretend that you never get hurt than it is to admit that 
you know, where you came from maybe kind of fucked you up a little. In my fancy therapy talk that you like so much, it's called transference. But Jamie Long, hurt? No, never. Sad? No, you never, you never ever say you're sad. That's self-indulgent. That's, I hate when people complain. They're like big wimps. Like, <sighs> so... I guess what I'm saying is um, your Achilles heel, your tragic flaw, what ultimately makes you a loser compared to me, Jamie, is that you always have to win. And I think you have to win because to lose, it makes you feel human and, well, it might make you feel something, anything. And as far as I can tell, that's not really your thing, like human feeling as it were. I guess it's your turn. You're done. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. My turn. My turn. Okay. Wow. That was nice. You've, uh, <laughs> you've really actually thought about that <laughs> and a bunch of new things. That's great. And there's so much to consider. Let's start with the anger. Okay. It's, Anger. It's true. Anger is my default. It embarrasses me when it comes out or when it's called out publicly. So I thank you for doing that right here and now. That's very kind of you. But it's not the whole picture, right? It's not altogether true. It's, it's, it's like me just calling you sad. And it's true. Many mornings, well, most mornings, actually, the first, <laughs> while we're on tour, the first thing that it comes out of Marcus's mouth is something about how, oh, my pillow was so flat last night. Or, oh, there was a draft. Or, oh, goodness, a siren woke me up. It, like, it's, it's amazing. See, the great thing about anger is that it lasts about 15 minutes and it's gone, right? But Marcus can stay sad about shit for like 15 years. And look, man, I don't want to punch you, Marcus. I don't want to punch you. What you see on my face all the time is not anger. That's not anger. It's, it's utter dismissal. It's complete apathy because I don't give a shit. Because neither should you. All your little worries, they don't matter. You're such a good victim. The victim of like social injustice, political injustice, meteorological <laughs> injustice. But it's such a bad act because in my humble estimation, you've never actually been the victim of anything real. Ex well, except of your own entitlement, right? Of having convinced yourself that you can make a judgment about a situation like mine that you have absolutely no understanding of and think that's cool. Man, it's not. It's not. You know so little about my history, like about three stories total, right? And I don't tell you about other stories because you won't have access to them, right? And I don't want to watch you pretend that you do. You've already placed yourself above me, right? And that is frustrating for people who have experienced poverty. And it's many, many byproducts. People who have actually lost things. It's true. Like, I don't like to lose because, Marcus, when I lose, something goes away, right? When you lose, nothing changes. You just go to another meeting. Marcus, you're an imposter. And, you know, maybe this is what makes him so sad. It's that he can't share a huge part of his own reality. It's why hardly anyone in any room we're ever in together knows exactly how much you're going to get. 
how much money, right, when your dad dies? Or that your father is even rich to begin with? Unless, of course, they've applied for money from his private foundation or, or they know about the place in the Cayman Islands where he's probably hiding most of his cash. Marcus, like, you are the 1%. But do you tell anyone? No way. It wouldn't match your costume. Like, if you'd stuck with your private school network or, or attended more 4th of July parties, you could talk about your money all you want. But no, you have decided to wander down into the dirt to fight the good fight with the little guys. And, and thanks, right? But imagine all that good work, all the work you put into COPE or your arts and culture policy council thing you're always talking about actually affected your life, a real impact. Maybe you wouldn't fuck it up. But you do. Right? Because you've already won, and you're always going to win and win and win. And this is what makes you such a loser. Because whenever your daddy dies, whether you guys are best friends or not when he does, and I hope you are, because it's, it's, it's not very much fun not being friends with your dad, you get to do whatever, whenever you want. And that has made you a... a, like a like a perpetual loser from your ping-pong days onwards. It's shitty for you, maybe, but, but not that shitty. But when I turn 65, when a lot of people turn 65, and we're exhausted from working too much, we, like, we get to keep on working, right? We don't ever get to stop. And even if I do find a way to slow down, chances are I'm still going to be living in the same shitty apartment, Worrying about how the hell I'm going to survive the next year. Except you live in a very nice apartment. But it's nothing compared to your house. See, this thing of suffering at 65 or becoming irrelevant or unemployable is an actual reality for me. It's a reality for most people. And it is one of the only things in the world that truly scares me. And yes, maybe that fear makes me angry on occasion. And I'm sorry that I scare you. So yes, I'm going to declare that my victories in life are bigger and bolder and braver than yours because I'm fucked for going after them and that's just not okay, fair. Okay, so I, I think a, a few people we, we know might take exception to the idea that you, you are fucked economically, but, but whatever. Um, okay, so as far as I can tell, you are dealt a set of circumstances as a human being and it's not like you have very little control over what those circumstances are, what you can control to the best of your ability is like how you play the hand you are dealt yes but your hand comes with a 1.6 million dollar house it was right? worth way less when we bought it yes the market has done him very well it's not his fault no okay and you, no you know what on, on the house point i concede I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna argue with you about the house my dad helping us buy a house was the most extraordinary act of financial privilege any person could receive and there's the twenty thousand dollar car that came with it okay right? just hang hang on a second jamie hang on a second you no know, if you want to go at this for real let's go at this for real divulge no, no i do want to go at it for real but I, i'd also like a chance to make my points and make a point i'm thinking no you're spinning no no I'm actually trying to put a little thought into this because I'm your friend and I care about this. So the debate is not whether I have more privilege than you. I think that's a given financial privilege anyway, but that does not negate the existence of actual events and relationships and people in the world and how we treat people. Car? Yeah, 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 absolutely, Jamie. I, uh, 
I mentioned my mom earlier. She had uh, undiagnosed early onset Alzheimer's disease. The doctors missed it. She spent seven or eight years living in a motel in California when my kids were little. Like yours are now, Jamie, and you're right. After eight years of looking after her all by myself, when I finally got her back to Vancouver, my dad, you know, feeling really, really guilty, he bought us a car. Yes, and we should all be rewarded for such hard work with our families. That's correct. I agree. But you can't tell me that receiving that gift negates what I did. Like, you just can't fucking tell me that because it doesn't negate the fact that I went and did all that work. I was willing to go down Mama, there to and help, be... To help your mother. Yes. To help my parent. The woman who raised you. That's good. Okay, so I, 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 think, I think we got to be really precise about this. Please. So I accept your anger and your resentment for the financial hand I was dealt. I accept that. I, I accept it. <laughs> Fuck the accepting thing. It drives me nuts. The accepting thing, you know, because it shapes the whole conversation. You accept. You've done all the work and you're done. That's it for you, right? That's the Marcus. I'm not resentful. Somebody gets the privilege. Occasionally, it's people who've earned it. Often, it's not. And that's cool, too. But my basic point does not change, and that is because of this wonderful hand that you have accepted, things have been much, much easier for you. Yeah, but I've never spent $200 on a pair of jeans in my life. Yes, and the frugal thing, too. Such a frugal, frugal fella, right? You and your family went to Egypt last Christmas. Three weeks in Egypt. A family of four. So you could do what? So we could meet my family for the very first time, Jamie, my uncles and my aunts, the aunt who raised my dad because their mom died when he was eight years old. That, that's why we went to Egypt. Yeah, and then you jumped into their SUV, right? And you drove past Tahrir Square once. Mr. Worldly Wise gave it a wave. And then you headed off to take snapshots of the pyramids, ride donkeys. It's, it's the fucking Middle East, man. The first time in your life, this place, this place that you write plays about that you define yourself by, that you trade upon the first time in your okay, life. Hang on. Are you actually questioning the legitimacy of my experience as a child of an immigrant from Egypt? Like a guy, a guy who came here and never went back? Is that what you're doing? No, no, I wouldn't dare. Good, because that would be extremely stupid, Jamie. I just want to know why you haven't gone before. Because it was so expensive. But you went to Hawaii the Christmas before that, right? Okay, no, that's, that's, that's not fair. And family trips to Ontario every single summer? Question for you. Do you buy those airplane tickets at secondhand stores or, or Boxing Day sales? No. No, you wait for them to be given to you, and then yes, absolutely, you accept them. But if my $200 pants really bug you that much, wait till you get your dad's money and you can go, you can go buy yourself a new suit. I don't want a fucking suit. Yes, Jamie, you are correct. In all likelihood, I will inherit money, which I will then attempt to figure out how to deal with ethically to put to some kind of use. Can I have some? Give me some of your money. Seriously. Redistribute. Well, right now, I don't have any money to redistribute. But when you get that money, I want a little bit of it. Okay, fine. And in exchange for the money that I'm supposedly going to give you, what, what I would like from you is help figuring out how to deal with that money ethically. <laughs> I can share your redistribution committee. No, no, I actually don't think I want you to chair the committee right now. But yes, I, I am asking for your help, Jamie, unless, of course, you just want the money and no responsibility. No, please, please burden me with the responsibility of handing out your father's money. Like, I, I might try to squeeze a few family trips out of it first, maybe, maybe a nice little bungalow. But then I also promise to give it away as ethically as possible. Great. That's awesome. But you don't get a family trip or a bungalow from it, right? Because it's my family's money. Our dads had uh, somewhat different trajectories. I don't know if you remember, but... I hope you'd get a decent honorarium. Do you want it or not? Yes, please. Great. And you know what? I appreciate your generosity. Hey, I appreciate the honorarium. But look, what happens today is you get to walk away rich, right? And I get to walk away poor. Oh, you're not poor. Compared to who? 
compared to probably anybody listening to this podcast. Like, you, you and your wife, you make what? About $160,000 a year? Yeah, give or take, which is about $30,000 less than you and yours if you include all your daddy's gifts. Jamie. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. You're a tourist, Marcus, right? You're just a tourist. Who do you look after, Jamie? Like, who do you take care of? I take care of my children. Nora and Leo. Nora and Leo, yes. Really? Because as far as I can tell, it's everybody else who takes care of Nora and Leo. Because if you're going to hammer me on the money, which is real, and I accept that, then I am going to challenge you on real things too. And you, my friend, you're always working. We'll be away for like three weeks touring and then the very next night we'll be back and I'll see you at some bad show or some dumb work party and there's no reason to be at it like your kids are little Jamie this is when they need you but I know why you're not with them it's because spending time with your children looking after your family that scares the living shit out of you of course it does because it means you have to be patient and you have to show compassion and you have to just kind of be there over and over again <clears throat> It's called intimacy. As far as I can tell, your father died alone, Jamie. Why is that? Why weren't you there? Yeah, once again, talking about something that you have absolutely no idea about, it's amazing. Okay, fine. I'll stop. No, no, please keep going. It's good. Well, what happens in my fancy therapy model is if you keep ignoring your own kids, they're likely to return the favor. Wow. You want financial security? Go back to school, man. Get a teaching degree. Become a teacher. Get a fucking real job. Like, get your summers off and two weeks of Christmas and two weeks of spring break and stop thinking about your vaunted art career and be kind to your own family. Or, or are some people not meant to be parents? Fuck. Is this the punching round? Are we allowed to punch now? You want to punch me? It'll have real consequences. I'm not going to punch you. Because you don't punch a tourist, right? Because tourists talk, and they talk, and they talk. And they have absolutely no idea what they're saying, but they keep on talking. But you don't punch them for it. No. You say, stay. Spend your money. Buy T-shirts. And then you wait for them to leave, and then, then you forget about them. Right. Kind of like... Um when people who had unhappy childhoods are abusive, basically racist, you don't blame them for that. You uh, cut them some slack because you know that their behavior, it's a, it's a consequence of where they came from and how they were treated as children. It's not entirely their fault. I'm right here, Jamie. Like, I do not have a million dollars in my bank account. And yes, absolutely, at some point, I might, just like someone who's listening right now might or does, but they would never fucking admit it because people like you would attack them. Who's attacking? What? Who's attacking? That's, that's it. That's it? We're done. Okay. We're done.
That was the conclusion of Winners and Losers, written and performed by Marcus Youssef and James Long. The original theatrical production was directed by Chris Abram. Episodes 2 and 3 are available now on PlayMe. Winners and Losers was first produced by Theatre Replacement and New World Theatre in association with Crow's Theatre. It premiered at the Gateway Theatre Studio B in Richmond, British Columbia in 2012. This episode's sound design and edit are by Chris Tolley. We'll be back next with an interview with the writers and performers of Winners and Losers, Marcus Yosef and James Long. Stay well. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Theatre or Instagram at PlayMePodcast. And if you haven't already, please consider rating and reviewing us. It helps us get our podcast out to more listeners. Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.